Let's turn first to uh, Psalm 37, our first uh, portion of Scripture this afternoon, Psalm 37, uh, reading at verse 18 to verse uh, 29. One of the great saints of God, David, who also persevered in the faith all his days. Psalm 37, reading at verse 18 to verse 29, the infallible word of the Lord. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, for those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Although he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been old and now I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off, and the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. A number of times we have there the word inherit and the word inheritance, speaking of what the Lord has uh, promised to give to us as we persevere. And then we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, our first five verses. Peter also speaks of an inheritance, incorruptible, in verse 4. Let's read together from 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And with these words of scripture in mind, uh, please turn to the Canons of Dort. You find out on page 584, the back of the book of praise. I've been preaching through the Canons of Dort in my home congregation and coming to the Fifth head of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. And this afternoon, let's hear from Article 9 and 10. Article 9 and 10 from the fifth head of doctrine, the Canons of Dort, page 584. Title of Article 9, the assurance of this preservation. This is what we confess as Reformed Christians. Believers themselves can be certain 
of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance of true believers in the faith. And they are indeed certain, according to the measure of their faith, by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church, and that they have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Article 10, the source of this assurance. This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation, besides or outside the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort. That's the first. And second, by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing to our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. And third here, and finally, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and good works. And if the elect of God did not have in this world the solid comfort of obtaining the victory and uh, this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, they would be of all men the most miserable. And it's certainly God's will that we not be miserable, but very joyful and confident as uh, Christians, as his children. Congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, assurance of your salvation, no doubt, is one of the great benefits and blessings of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We all like things to be certain and to have assurance about things. For example, when kids are in school and they take all these courses and they think, well, if I work really hard and I study hard, well, will I pass the course? Will I pass the grade? They, they like to have that kind of certainty about their schoolwork and about what they're doing in school. Or the mother at home making a nice birthday cake. She puts all the ingredients in the cake and she, she hopes the cake will turn out and she wants that certainty that the kids will love the cake. Or perhaps in your marriage, you do all these kinds of things. You love your wife, you love your children, you love your spouse, and you hope by all these good works your marriage will be a success. Hey, the Lord willing, we pray for. We, we like certainty in our lives. Well, another important question, can we be certain about our salvation? Perhaps something that is something that we have struggled with. Can we be certain of our faith? Well, the Bible certainly says, yes, we can, and we, and we ought to be certain about our salvation. And I say that because God says so in his holy word, his holy word. Now, there, of course, have been many people within the realm of Christendom who've said that this teaching is not good. Even within Roman Catholicism, it was a bad thing to express the certainty of your salvation. That sounded way too presumptuous. How dare you say that you can be certain of your faith? Well, that is quite unbiblical. We are not boastful. We're not arrogant when we say that we are certain of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is a very biblical thing to say that. And in the process, of course, we're simply giving credit to whom credit is due. We're giving credit and glory to the Lord our God because we know his sovereign grace is powerful and real. It is, it is fully effective to secure our salvation. As we confess the perseverance of faith, we do so to the glory of God, eh? the very foundation and the only source of our faith, of our salvation. And so our theme this afternoon, congregation, true believers do gain the assurance of their salvation. 
God would not want us to have anything less. And this is the teaching of the Canons of Dort in that wonderful fifth head of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. And we have in Articles 9 and 10 very clearly setting forth for us the assurance we have of persevering in the faith unto salvation and of God preserving us, therefore, or because uh, because the basis for our perseverance, God preserving us in that salvation. And I submit to you this is a most uh, comforting, a most comforting uh, doctrine. In the first place, we we confess that we gain assurance of our salvation as Christians according to the measure of our faith. Faith produces assurance of salvation. Let's go to Article 9. It would be helpful to keep your your books open to Articles 9 and 10. Uh, We read in Article 9 our confession, saying believers themselves can be certain of this perseverance of the elect to salvation and the uh, perseverance of true believers in the faith, and they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church and that they have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Now, Christians at times have asked me, can I be certain of my faith? Yes, I know the Bible tells me that he will preserve the saints, but can I take that very personally for for me too, for myself? And I say, yes, you can. You can be assured of your salvation. I guess people are sometimes asking themselves or have asked me, when I, can I be certain of my preservation? They may be asking the question, can I simply be sure I'm a Christian? Can I really be sure I'm a Christian? And I say, yes, you can be sure that you are a Christian. You can be sure. And if you know you're a Christian, you can be sure that you will be preserved all the way to heaven as well. By God's design, of course, by God's grace, by his sovereign election, by his upholding you, and not by your uh, desires or intentions or actions simply. I guess the rub of the question here comes, congregation, with this whole business of the, of the measure of one's faith. Midway through Article 9, it says, regarding believers, they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church and, and, uh, and so forth, according to the measure of their faith. Now, granted, some people's faith is stronger than others. We read of that in the Scriptures. Some produce only 30-fold worth of faith and good works. Others 60, others 100, we learn in the parable of the sower. The measure of one's faith. And by that word measure, we would think of the, the degree of their faith, or perhaps the strength of their faith, or the consistency of their faith. One person's faith is perhaps more consistent or more even-keeled than another. One person's faith is stronger than that of another. And at various points in your life, your faith may ebb and flow. It will be stronger at one point than, say, when you were much younger. And yet, in any situation, uh, even though your faith might be weak at a certain time, that does not invalidate your faith. It doesn't rule it out. Uh, The faith, for example, of a young person is not as fully formed, perhaps, as 
fully grounded in the knowledge of God's word as an older person's faith, and yet that faith of that younger person, let's say that teenager, that faith is just as true and saving as it is for the older person. We might ask the question, is a weak faith still a true faith? And I say, yes, it is. It certainly is a true faith and, and savingly effective through the blood of Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible prizes a, a childlike faith, like the faith of a little child, like those who came to Jesus. And did they have all the knowledge that their parents did? No or all the understanding, the intricacies of how the sovereign doctrines of grace all work together? No, perhaps not. And yet their faith was a simple trust, an abiding trust in their heavenly Father and in the promises of his word. Their faith was just as real as that of grandma and grandpa was. And so when we speak about the measure of the faith, we think of the faith that God has given to you that faith which you have exercised and honed and fertilized and cultivated, that faith that makes you tick accordance to the measure of that faith, you indeed are assured of everlasting life and of God keeping you and you persevering. Perhaps a few questions here might be helpful. Do you keep confessing your sins before God every day, young people? Do you keep trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ every day that his blood was sufficient to shed, uh, to, 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 to cover all your sins? You who are older, do you keep fighting against those sinful desires that can sometimes just keep pestering you? You know they're not right. You may not be entertained by them. You keep fighting those sinful desires. You keep putting them to death the way Paul speaks, us, speaks about doing. Or do you simply love the Lord? And is it really your desire to obey his will? If you answer yes to those questions, then you're demonstrating that measure of faith, that degree of faith that God has given to you, by which you also gain the assurance of salvation and of God's blessings. Now, that does not mean the assurance of your salvation is simply based upon your feelings. No, of course not. And yet, feelings are not uh, excluded from our faith, but our faith is grounded in much more than feelings. It is grounded in the knowledge we have in God's Word, and we'll see, talk about that in a moment. But as we express our thoughts and our actions, as we have... Uh, thought about these things, for example, by these questions I've just mentioned to you as you are saying yes to these things, despite your shortcomings, that demonstrates that measure of faith. Those saying yes to those kinds of questions is evidence of faith. For example, if you are turning from your sins and making sure, therefore, that sin no longer has dominion over you, that's a demonstration God's, God's grace is working in you too. You know, that's one thing an unbeliever never has to struggle with, of putting those sinful desires to death and of hating that sin and fleeing from that sin and fleeing to Christ. The unbeliever has to never think about those things. He doesn't give a rip about that. He's got other, other kinds of things to think about and to be pleased with, but not this. 
And so as we struggle with our faith and seek to be holy before God and turn to Christ for forgiveness, that is evidence, is it not? That's fruits of faith. That shows a, a measure of faith has been given to you and, that you, and then you automatically ought to say, well, that therefore also means by God's grace. I am a believer. I'm a Christian by his grace. And then you can put an equal sign between that and say, well, guess what? <laughs> that means I'm going to persevere in the faith too because one plus one is two. This plus this means preservation. Or saying it differently, simply loving the Lord Jesus Christ, despite the times we don't love him as much as we ought to, yet loving the Lord Jesus Christ and doing so because you confess he is the Son of God whose blood was shed to take away the sin of the world is another way in which you show that faith, that measure of faith that has been given to you. And as you consider that faith in your heart, then hear this teaching from Article 9. And they are indeed certain, according to the measure of their faith, by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church, and that they have forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Now, this confession doesn't simply come out of thin air. Of course not. It comes straight out of the Holy Scriptures. We turn, for example, to uh, God's Word as we find it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And this passage is just loaded with the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Listen to verse 3, 4, and 5. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. He says, to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what end? Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible. That's where we're going, to an inheritance that's incorruptible, meaning it's not going to fade away, it's not going to disappear, it's not going to be fluff that disappears. No, but inheritance that's incorruptible, Furthermore, it's undefiled, and even more, it's reserved in heaven for you. A guarantee. God's not joking. This is real. And verse 5, who are, there, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, God has begotten us again. He has caused to be born within us. A living hope means it's a hope that can't die or disappear, and it lives in us as we believe, and it's a hope that we see is grounded, not in our good intentions or crossing our fingers, no, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead for good reason, that we would be assured, that we would have hope, that we would know our sins are forgiven. And therefore, that everlasting life and forgiveness would be ours. Or we think of the words that Paul said to the Corinthians, If Christ is not risen, you're still in our sins. But Christ is risen. It means we're no longer in our sins. But God has given us dominion over our sins. And he's rescued us from the tyranny of the devil. 
And it implies, therefore, that confessing Christ, we are therefore no longer guilty with regard to our sins, but we are declared righteous in fact. And as we not only hear these things, but apply them to our hearts and tuck them home into our bosoms, spiritually speaking, it spells out this, well, I have got this faith. I have got this sure knowledge based on Christ's resurrection. And and even though my faith is not always as strong as it is every day, my salvation isn't finally grounded in the strength or the lack of strength in my faith, but in Jesus Christ in whom I believe, in whom I believe, who, who died for me. And that is what uh, the Canons of Dort again tells us, that we indeed can be certain according to the measure of our faith by which we, they, firmly believe that they, that we are always and always shall remain true and living members of the church, have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Notice how positively uh, Article 9 ends, giving us, uh, again, the assurance we need of persevering because of what Christ has done and because, of the God will, and because God will now preserve us too in that faith. Notice the language of these two verbs in the first sentence of Article 9. Believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect. And then the next verb with a P, perseverance. Okay, the basis for perseverance is grounded in preservation by God. Preservation in that faith. And and that is what we see in God's holy word, congregation. Uh, just reading verse 5 again of 1 Peter 1. We who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. I submit to you it's God's intention and his great love to have believers Simply be assured to simply rest in what Christ has done and thus be assured personally of their salvation. As if this is a precious possession I have. This is a spiritual reality that resonates deep in my own heart that God has given to me. As certainly as I possess this faith, It's because so certainly I am his treasured possession. He has laid hold of me on account of his divine election and his covenant love. And I'm saying yes by his grace to that. Doesn't make me boastful or presumptuous or arrogant, but it's simply a confession. Wow, this is what God has done. I'm honoring God by thanking him for what faith he has given to me. I am his adopted child because of his grace to me. And he has preserved me all these long years. All credit goes to God. And through Jesus Christ, my crucified and my risen Lord, risen for my justification even, another 
indication of the surety of our faith. And so, congregation, God be glorified. This is what we see in his word. And that's what we come to secondly. You already you've probably been thinking about this. It's his word that tells us these things. It's his word that is the basis for, for our faith and salvation. And so in the second place, we see that true believers gain the assurance of salvation because it is based on the promises in God's word, hey? what is revealed in his holy word. And we note that secondly as we turn to Article 10, Article 10 begins by saying this assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation besides or outside the word, but by faith in the promises of God which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for my comfort. God's word is absolutely full of the assurance of salvation that the believer has in Jesus Christ. Assurance of salvation. Let's turn to another scripture passage to illustrate this. Uh, Psalm 37. David, too, spoke about an inheritance. He's like Peter did. David, many centuries before, spoke the same language of an inheritance that would be undefiled, incorruptible, reserved in heaven for you. Look at Psalm 37, 18. David says, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. The Lord knows our days. He knows where we're, where we're going. He knows what we're doing. He knows who we are. He knows we are sinners. He knows at times we fall into sin terribly. But he also knows of a sovereign grace by which he has elected us. He knows of a sovereign grace by which he renews us again to repentance. He knows of a sovereign grace by which he upholds us. He knows all this about us. He knows our days, uh, David says. The Lord knows the days of the upright. And therefore, their inheritance shall be forever. David says, forever, not just for a little while, but forever their inheritance shall be. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. A promise given to the upright. Notice that word in 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. Well, how do you know that you're upright? Or another word, righteous. Well, only one way. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the only Lord, the Son of God, crucified for sinners, then you have this hope that your inheritance will be forever. That spells perseverance, preservation. Well, maybe some of you are not sure of whether you are upright whether you are uprighteous, then maybe this text doesn't apply to me. Well, I certainly don't want to leave you there, not at all. If you are not sure about being upright, then this very moment and for the coming day and and weeks and months, you keep turning to God with all your heart prayerfully, and you really get serious about repenting of your sin because you know what? Your sin's going to kill you if you do not repent of it. It's going to destroy you. This is a reality of sin. It separates us from God. But if you're not sure about being upright and having this promise, then turn to God with all your heart, repent of your sin, and seriously confess your sin. 
And then pray to God with all your heart for his grace. If you're not sure that you even have that faith, then pray to God, Lord God, please open my heart and give me all the faith I need so that I can be sure. And strengthen that little faith I have. If that's all I have is little faith, make it stronger, O Lord, that I might be assured that I am upright before you through faith in your beloved Son. Why believe in him? Well, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that our awful sin is imputed to him and his blessed righteousness is imputed to us. And that makes us upright. And that's what David is referring to. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. That means you're going to persevere, come what may. No matter what the devil might try to throw at you, you as the upright of God will persevere because God is serious about his promise here and he's going to keep you. Of course we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We just can't sit on the sidelines of life and do nothing spiritually. Of course not. We're to engage our Christian faith and to believe the promises and to live by faith. And and you know all of that. But here then is the promise. Reading again verse 18 to 20. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in evil time. And the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But, but, The wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadow, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Oh, here's a strong warning. Here's some tough language in Scripture, a warning to the wicked. They are, of course, those who do not know the ways of the Lord, and they couldn't care less. If you tell them you need the grace of God, they say, forget it. I'm not interested. They are happily carrying along in their own wicked life. They want nothing of of God. For them, there's no assurance whatsoever. There's not. Until they humble themselves before God and believe his holy word concerning Christ and repent of their sins, of course, and believe on Jesus, crucified and risen, For by him alone, you see, are they made righteous and assured of this inheritance that is forever. And so having said that, you know, there's there's hope for every unbeliever. There's hope for everyone who, who sees their lostness and wants to have a heavenly inheritance and come to know that salvation in Christ. There's hope. Think of the thief in the cross. You think if there was never a man beyond hope, it must have been him. Virtually at the end of his life, having had a track record that was horrible as a criminal, worthy of crucifixion. And even for him, there was hope. If he but turned from his sin at that very late hour of his life and get serious with what his sins had done to him, And the beauty of Christ as Lord right beside him on the cross next door. Speaking 
of saying to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And there the grace of God was proclaimed in his ears too. And of course, by divine grace, he came to faith. And what did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise and inheritance, even for him at that very late hour. And so, congregation, we see in our second point, hey, how we gain the assurance of salvation based on the promises in God's holy word. A second thing that we read in uh, article number 10, a kind of a second mini point of our second point, not only are the promises of God's word foundation for our perseverance, but we also, secondly, know by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. Here, too, we gain that assurance of God preserving us. And here, Article 10 basically quotes from Romans 8, verse 16, that beautiful passage that speaks about the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God, and uh, if children of God, then heirs of God, heirs of, uh, of Christ and joint heirs with God. And that word heir, heirs of God, again, means inheritance, right? It speaks of a, of a paradise. And so, not only from God's word, but certainly revealed from God's word, we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God. And isn't that something we confess, and I think especially as we get older, we believed on the Lord for many years, we fought the battle against sin so often, and we've come to that deep conviction, deep within our bones, so to speak, that we are children of God. Everything within me, and yet I could never say this is simply a, a gut feeling, but it's the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirits that we are children of God. The believer knows it's because of divine election that he's become a Christian. He knows it was God's covenant love that took him out of bondage and brought him to the promised land, so to speak. It was the Holy Spirit who transformed my life. It was Christ who redeemed me by his own blood. And now you know what? The last thing I'd ever want to do is to turn my back on Jesus Christ. The last thing I'd ever want to do is be outside the church or be uncertain of my salvation. Everything within me says, I want to keep believing, and I know Christ has died for my sin. The Holy Spirit testifies of this, witnesses to my spirit that I am a child of God. I never want to depart from the Lord, not ever, not for all the money in, all, in a thousand worlds, but I want to depart from God. I hear the echo in Scripture so often, I shall be your God and you shall be my people. And I say, yes, that's me too. I want to be one of God's people and I am one of his children. And nothing can ever take this testimony in my heart away from me. You see, congregation, in this way too, God, through his Spirit, convicts us and tells us. 
And we know this because it's in God's holy word. The assurance we gain of uh, our salvation. And then lastly, we read in the third little point there in Article 10, and finally by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and good works. By this means, too, we gain that assurance. And if the elect of God did not have in this world that solid comfort of obtaining the victory and this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, then we would, of all men, be most miserable. As I said earlier, the last thing God wants is his people to be miserable. He wants us to be rejoicing, to be confident, to be men and women, boys and girls with a tremendous amount of hope. But here's the thing, lastly, and again I say it as a question, is your desire to preserve a good conscience, is that worth something to you? Is your desire to manifest good works, is that is that important to you? Is that a sign of salvation? And I say, yes, it certainly is. It certainly is. Preserving that clear conscience and manifesting good works is, is essential to our, our Christian faith. Again, if we turn to Psalm 37, we, we see that. Verse 27, uh, the Lord says, Depart from evil... And do good, eh, good works, depart from evil and do good, and then dwell forevermore. See the connection. Doing good and dwelling forevermore. And verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked, they shall be cut off. Not those who seek to do what is good and right and do good works, but he says, the wicked shall be cut off. They shall be destroyed. And then verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Dwell in the land. That was an expression of of enjoying the inheritance God had given his people. They shall dwell in the land. It was an emblem and a foretaste of their eternal heavenly inheritance with God forever. But God introduces this by first saying, depart from evil and do good. Are your good works important? Yes, they are. Do they save you? Not at all. Not at all. But they are sure signs that you will inherit the land and obtain that holy and heavenly paradise that Jesus promised the thief on the cross. Doing good works. Again, another testimony to you that you're not in the camp of the wicked, no way. But you are in the camp of the righteous. Yes, fallen, still sinners to be sure, but redeemed. That's a big difference. You're redeemed by the grace of God. He's going to preserve you. He's going to keep you. And your good works, what are they? They are evidence of faith. They are evidence of you knowing you will dwell forevermore. And this thing about a clear conscience, eh? So closely connected to good works. We're very careless in our Christian life. 
If we, don't, if we happily enjoy living in our sin at times, does that give you a clear conscience? No, it not. It loads you down with guilt. And the last thing we want as Christians is to be loaded down with guilt and of unconfessed sin. Then do you have a sure knowledge of your salvation? Probably not. You just wonder how King David thought before he confessed his sin, how his conscience must have been eating away at him for so long. Was he then so assured? Perhaps not. But when he heard the word of God and he confessed his sin and God forgave him, he had a clear conscience again and another sign, God was with him. God had brought him to repentance. God had not chucked him out or cast him off, but God indeed was keeping him. And that's what we see in verse 23 and 24, the steps of the good manner ordered by the Lord And he delights in his way. Though he fall, and we all fall, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast off, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. In congregation, that's where we want to be, right? We want to be with the Lord, doing all we can by his grace to maintain a clear conscience and to do good, do good works as a sign of that faith as a sign that God indeed is upholding us, he indeed has ordered, eh? he has established the steps of the good man that he would walk in that way and that God delights. And so congregation, when, when you fall into sin, maybe badly, you know yourself, you maybe can relate to that, when you fall into sin, then don't suddenly throw your faith out the window and think I'm, I'm dead in the water spiritually. No. Then you confess your sin. Then you get real with God and you humble yourself before him. And then you be mindful of the mercies of God that he has indeed sent his son to die for you. And then remember, if you confess your sins, you're not going to be cast off and he is going to uphold you. And you will persevere. You will. By God's grace. Brothers and sisters, this is a gospel that is so worth believing. There's nothing else like it. There's no other gospel like this. There is no other truth but this. A gospel that is so full of hope. Even the thief on the cross had hope. Even you and me as well. The hope of not only a Savior who died for us, but a Father in heaven who has loved us and who by his grace preserves us so that we will persevere, persevere and inherit the land that he has promised us to enjoy forever. God's word tells us this, and in it we believe. This is what God promised us, and in him we believe. Amen.